Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 50th episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Rebecca Horan, a brand strategist who helps business owners, educators, and entrepreneurs communicate their brands in a way that really makes people care. As a parent who works from home, Rebecca has had to learn how to separate screen time from family time, and she'll share her insights with you today. You can find out more about Rebecca at RebeccaHoran.com. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-H-O-R-A-N.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Rebecca Horan to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview that you're about to hear with Rebecca Horan, you'll hear her share her five suggestions for being more mindful with technology. I think you'll really enjoy them. And I will spoil the third one, which is that you'll never be caught up. I'll let you hear more about what she has to say about that. But it made me think about how often I am drawn to check messages or read things online out of the feeling that if I just get through them, I will be caught up. And ask yourself how often you act out of that kind of a motivation or belief. So my suggestion for today is to investigate that belief for yourself. See if you can experiment with Rebecca Horan's alternative belief, namely that you'll never be caught up. Just try it out for a day or a week. See if you can accept the fact that you won't actually be caught up. When you feel the urge to check email or Facebook and you notice yourself thinking, oh, I'll just check this until I get caught up. See if you can pause, pay attention to that thought or feeling, and stop, remind yourself that, in fact, you will never be caught up, and see how that affects your feelings or your motivation or your action. Does it change your desire to check those messages now that you have reminded yourself that, in fact, you'll never be caught up? When Rebecca mentioned this in the interview, I had the image come to mind of dogs on a racetrack running after a mechanical rabbit that's always being kept just out of their reach. And I thought about how often we all are like those dogs with messages and and social media being drawn to the promise that will catch up when that promise is illusory. So this is just a suggestion to try it out and see how it feels to you and whether it results in any changes in your thoughts or feelings or behavior online. Hope you find that helpful, and I hope you enjoy the upcoming interview with Rebecca Horan. Hi, Rebecca, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to have you here today because I know that you're a really busy and very experienced marketing professional, that you also do a lot of work from home with children and and family at home, and that you've spoken and, and, and do work on how to strike that balance between doing your work at home and managing screen time for yourself and for your kids in light of your work and just the demands on, on the family. I wonder if you could talk a little bit, you know, maybe uh, about the beginning of your, your personal story and, and challenges that you've had with screen time in your family. You know, I'll preface this by saying I started my career 
back in the mid-90s, so this was not an issue at all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Uh, You know, you left the office and you really left work behind. So that was a different era. You know, we're in a very, very different place now. I'm super thankful for technology because I... I do get to have my own business and run it from home and really schedule it around my own family's needs. But what I find really on a day-to-day basis is that there is this, well, I was going to say struggle. Some days it's a struggle. Some days more, it's more of a juggle. (laughs) Um, And some days it's just trying to strike a careful balance. But, you know, I've noticed when you're working at home in sight of your children, it can be a little tricky to model good screen practices in front of them. So, for example, if you go off to an office every day and you're gone for 12 hours a day, you know, you are sitting in front of a computer, right? But mm-hmm. no one, you know, your kids aren't really watching you do that. It's just expected. You're off to work, you're at the office. Of course, you're going to be in front of a screen. But when you're working from home, I feel like those lines get a little bit blurred. And so it does become a little bit tricky. You know, I find sometimes I find myself mm. telling my 13-year-old that she's staring at her phone for too long. Meanwhile, she sees me doing that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can, I can make the argument that it's for work or I'm an adult and you're 13, but that doesn't go very <laughs> far. <laughs> my kids. Yeah, I mean, they're very perceptive, right? They will pick up on what they see, not on what you say. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. And it's sometimes it's hard, you know, and I have a six-year-old as well, and it can be hard for a child to make that distinction, right? Where it's, oh, it's necessary screen time for work versus it's just screen time, <laughs> right? And it's <laughs> it's taking my attention away from them in a sense. So yeah, it's it's a little bit of a a challenge in a way because they are seeing me on the computer and on the phone. You know, on the one hand, it's great that they can see me running a business and and doing something that really lights me up, right? And that I'm really mm-hmm. invested in and really enjoying. But on the other hand, I do have to be very careful to to kind of draw those lines and not let it bleed over too much especially as you know as a brand strategist you know social media is a very big part of doing business these days it's pretty much unavoidable so i have i have kind of a love hate relationship with it <laughs> myself <laughs> i wonder if you can talk a little bit about the two sides of this it sounds like one you're saying your kids can see you as a role model but they can also see you know your your foibles in how you use technology in your work and how has that affected you? You know, it's interesting. You're saying it's like they have a window into your work because they're seeing it in the home in a way that they wouldn't have if you were at an office. How has that either unconsciously or consciously affected how you work at home because you're aware of their awareness of you? I like how you said that too. I am aware of their awareness of me. It's true. And it makes me kind of doubly aware, (laughs) I guess, right? So (laughs) when I feel that screen creep happening, I know I have to make a change. So I do try to set pretty strict limits for myself. I try to keep my work between the hours of 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., 3.30 really most days. But there are days where I just have a lot on my plate and I do let it bleed over into the period where they're home from school. And that's where it gets tricky. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
it's less about being on my computer. I feel like sitting in front of my computer typing in a way feels more acceptable, if that's the right word, than being Mm -hmm. on my phone and looking at Facebook. Even if I'm looking at Facebook for business purposes, you know, that's a social media app that's, it's really tricky because many business owners are conducting a lot of business over Facebook, right? So it happens to be where a lot of client introductions are made, where meetings are set up. I'm often conducting conversations and corresponding with clients in between meetings via email, but I do have some who PM me over Facebook. And I'm open to that within reason, but you do have to be very careful and very conscious of not responding (laughs) at a certain time Mm -hmm. of day and not Mm -hmm. checking. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets tricky, right? Because as, as a marketing person, as a brand strategist, I recognize the importance of being where your clients are and being responsive and showing up really consistently. And um, as a business owner, social media has been invaluable in terms of expanding my own network, really deepening my relationships with other people, uh, meeting new clients. But as a person, it can (laughs) start to drive me crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It can be exhausting. Of course. I wonder, you know, now that you've been thinking about this and dealing with it in your your personal and professional life for a long time, are there certain strategies that you found work particularly well for you that you might suggest to other people? Yes, actually, I do. There are a number of things that I try to remind myself of on a regular basis when I start sliding into that territory again of of like, oh, I'm holding my phone too often, you know? I mean, there are some, there are some days where I literally carry it from room to room with me <laughs> and then catch <laughs> myself doing that. And it's like, why am I doing that? Like, why am I so attached? So when I start to veer into that territory, this is where these five things become in very helpful for me. And I think it might mm-hmm. apply to many of your listeners. The first one is I'm not a doctor, right? There are no mm-hmm. emergencies that I need to respond to immediately. There are no social media emergencies. (laughs) (laughs) Right? No one's life is depending on this. Things can wait. The second one is, I cannot think of a single time that I have not regretted not sneaking a peek at my phone. But Mm. I can think of times where I have regretted looking at it, especially right before going to bed. (laughs) You know? So it's, Just remember that one. I think that might be one of the most important ones for me. We never regret not looking at it. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about both of these. You know, the thing about things can wait really resonates with me, and I think with many people, that it can often feel like they can't wait. And that's why we respond to the phone or go out to it, whether we're responding to it or not, you know, it, things can feel urgent. You know, the technology is designed to make what's on it feel urgent. Your, your reminder is great, you know, that when you step back and look at what's on social media or elsewhere objectively, it actually, most of the time for most people can wait. (laughs) Yes, it's so true. I mean, you're right. It is designed to feel urgent. And, you know, you have all these notifications. I mean, that's one thing I've, I've changed over the years is shut the notifications down. So Mm -hmm. even, you know, on my Facebook app, I don't even have that little red number that says how many notifications, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. blank and changing that 
made all the difference in the world because you no longer have that sense of urgency. Like, oh, I have to click on it and <laughs> see what's waiting for yeah. me. So that helps a lot in that regard too. Yeah. And I think, um, I think you're right. You know, there are certainly people who are in a situation, some doctors, but not even all doctors necessarily, uh, some doctors and certain other people who truly have to be on call at a moment's notice. But, you know, most of us don't. And the fact is that there are ways to set up your phone and other technology to notify you about things that truly are urgent. You know, you can set up filters on do not disturb so that your spouse or child or certain other people can get through to you when everyone else is blocked. You know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing so that you can allow yourself to be notified of something that's a true emergency when the other 99% of things that just feel like emergencies but aren't, you know, don't actually intrude on your consciousness. Yes, absolutely. And I do, I actually have that set up. So I have it on Do Not Disturb every night, but I do have just a few numbers that can get through if they need mm -hmm. to. But it's never, they're never work-related numbers. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. And, you know, on your not regretting, not looking, that's a great, great suggestion. You know, I think there's something very mindfulness related to it, which is that I, I see it as a suggestion to people now after listening to you to pay attention to how they actually feel when they go and check Facebook or their phone or something else. They might feel a sense of excitement or anticipation, like something great is going to be waiting there for them. And you're saying you've noticed that in reality, <laughs> you know, you often don't find that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You actually end up feeling regret or maybe uncomfortable or anxious by what you find. And it's a great observation. If we can remember that, but when we feel the urge to check, that you know, in in reality, what, what I'm what I'm going to find there may not be as positive as I'm as my mind is telling me it will be. That's so true. <laughs> you know, we might be less less likely to go and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And even if it is a positive thing, you can always ask yourself, you know, would it have made a big difference if I saw this three hours later? And the answer mm -hmm. is probably mm -hmm. going to be no. Right? <laughs> it right. probably That's would right. not make a big difference if you held off. Yeah. And you said, so you said uh, you've got five things. So I'm now feeling anticipation okay. about what number three is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The third truth is that you'll never be, and I'm using air quotes here, caught up, right? Mm. Social media, mm -hmm. it's an insatiable beast, right? And the more you feed it, mm -hmm. the more time it's going to eat up. There's always more to consume and mm -hmm. it's never going to be enough until you decide that it's enough. So there's always this feeling of just like, let me just check one more time or, you know, that, but it's designed to make us feel that way, right? There's, there's no end mm -hmm. <laughs> to it. <laughs> there's no end of the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The timeline just keeps going forward. The inbox keeps filling up, you know, even if, I mean, I've gotten to that point of quote, inbox zero, but how long does it last? A few seconds, maybe? <laughs> right. At most, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, I've had that feeling of Oh, if I just get caught up, all will be good in the world. You know, right? That, that's like the goal we're seeking. And you're, you're, you're saying, well, that's a, it's not attainable. It's just, yeah. it's not attainable. Yeah. It's not attainable. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So number four, when it's your business, you get to make the rules about when to turn it mm -hmm. off. Right. So 
I mentioned before, I sometimes have spillover. I'm allowing that to happen. And, you know, I have to remind myself that I make my own hours. I make the (laughs) rules in the business, right? If it's happening, it's because I'm allowing it to happen. So again, it's about, you know, what what am I prioritizing here? And sometimes I just have to get those priorities back in line again when I start to feel that slippage. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I know you're you're speaking as an entrepreneur, someone who runs her own business. I, I, I'm in the same situation. I think a lot of people, many more people these days are in that situation, whether they're running their own business or freelancing or something like that. And, you know, I know I can feel the pull between the two things you've talked about, which is one, the wanting to be and appear responsive and available to clients, colleagues, customers, coworkers, everything else. And on the other hand, wanting to be in control of your time and get that benefit that you you sought when you opened your own business or went out on your own in some way, which is to have have that control over your time. Right. You know, there there certainly is a, a tension there, but it's a great great reminder just to be conscious of the fact that right you you have a choice that no one is necessarily forcing you. Someone might be disappointed. I mean, that may be as much as it is that you didn't get back to them, you know, the minute they they wanted. I found in my own business by experimenting and trying out different habits, like how long I wait to respond to people, that 99% of the time, my fear of how someone will feel about you know, the fact that I waited an hour or two or even a day to get back to the fear was way exaggerated. The business didn't crash. <laughs> and, you know, the, the client didn't disappear. Of course, you have to be attentive and, and prioritize things. But, you know, that fear we often have that we, we must respond right away because of how someone else will react to it is often just unfounded. Yes, it's so true. And, you know, we can scare ourselves into thinking it's it's really going to matter. But if you're clear about your limits from the beginning with clients, they're going to respect those limits, right? So I, one thing I'm very good about is closing it down on the weekend. You mm-hmm. know, there are some circumstances where I feel like I want to catch up a little bit on the weekend, but I'm typically not corresponding with clients over the weekend. And that's very intentional. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, they're happy to keep it that way too. (laughs) So Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. just kind of remembering, you know, you can, when it is your own business, you can kind of make those rules and stick to them. And you're here to tell people that you've done that, you haven't responded on the weekend, and the the world hasn't come crashing down. It hasn't come crashing down, right? All (laughs) all is right with the world on Monday morning. (laughs) Um, One trick, though, is sometimes so... This is something I have done though. When I've, when I've been on my computer and there's a question that's come through or something, I use a tool called Boomerang with Gmail mm-hmm. and I've written a response and then just set it to go out to the client on Monday morning. So mm-hmm. that way I'm just kind of getting it off my head if I would, you know, if I was doing some work anyway, but I'm not opening up the correspondence door, <laughs> as it were, on the mm-hmm. weekend. So that's something I don't do it very often. Again, like I said, I try to just avoid work altogether on the weekend. But there have been a couple times where I've done that, where I've just said, okay, let me just write the response and it'll go out on Monday as usual, as if I'm sending it on Monday. Yeah, it's great. When you mentioned opening the correspondence door, you know, I, I remember having the experience of one feeling that the email never stopped, you know, and as much as I tried to respond, more would come in. And then I remember when I started to change habits, 
and you know, let's say not respond for four hours, I noticed, oh, you know what? I'm getting less email in. Why? Because as you just said, when you respond to an email, what does that do most of the time? Elicit another response from that person. The more you send, <laughs> the more you get back. <laughs> so uh, I really like your, your suggestion of you know deferring things. I suspect it lets you get the thought off your mind. It lets you know you've responded, maybe decreases some anxiety about that, but cuts down on how much email you'll get back, at least on the weekend. Yes, so true. And in a perfect world, I wouldn't have even seen that email. <laughs> but, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is reality. Sometimes I do take a peek on the weekend. So yeah, yeah. But at least it's off my off my mind, as you said. Yeah, that's great. I'm really, really curious about the, the fifth habit oh, of sure. yours. So the, this is for me and for a parent, as a parent, you know, this is one of the most important truths of all that I remind myself of. The kids are always watching. Sometimes that's hard to believe when, you know, when you have to repeat yourself over and over again when you ask them to do something. But <laughs> the truth is they're always observing us. And so that's something that, again, I try to keep in the back of my mind because that's what it comes down to, right? I want to model good behavior. I am running a business. So they're going to see me doing that. And they're going to see me working sometimes when I don't necessarily think I should be. But just keeping in mind the hours that they're seeing me on my phone, when I've, you know, I've sort of closed up shop, metaphorically speaking, for the day, am I sneaking peeks at Facebook? You know, they they see that. They notice it. They see if the phone is in my hand. So again, they're always watching. They do emulate us as much as they would like to deny it sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) They do. So, you know, the eyes are always watching. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's really great. You know, when I step back from everything you've said, there's a lot of people out there talking about the, the, the challenges and the promise of raising kids today in the digital age. And a lot of what you hear about, and it's very valuable, is more focused on your children. And, you know, what I hear you saying is, or at least what you focused on so far in the conversation, is focusing on yourself and your own habits because of the role you play as a model for your yeah, kids. It's, yeah, it's really important. And it's, you know, we do have rules. So I mentioned I have a six-year-old and a 13-year-old, and the 13-year-old has a smartphone, and she has rules, and we had her sign a contract <laughs> before we bought it for mm-hmm. her. but. That only goes so far if you're not practicing what you preach, <laughs> as it were. So, yeah, yeah, you know, the rules, what you say is really meaningless if what you do doesn't back it up. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the contract. You know, I know that's become a more common thing these days for smartphone and other technology use. What is it about that that you found that's been valuable? Maybe things that have worked, that haven't worked, you know, anything that would be potentially helpful to other parents who maybe are about to embark on that? Yeah, well, I would say the most important thing to us as a family is no phones at the table, at the dinner table. You know, we're very big on family dinner. Kids have activities. Sometimes my husband might get home late. You know, things happen where we're not all four of us sitting down together. But whenever we can, we like to all have dinner together. And that's when some really great conversations happen. But even whether it's just two of us at the table or all four of us, there are no screens ever at the table. 
And that goes mm-hmm. for, you know, even if we're at a restaurant and our, you know, when our youngest one was a toddler and had trouble sitting still, you know, that was one thing that we never gave way on because it's a slippery mm. slope. <laughs> and yeah, for us, yeah. for us, mealtime is all about conversation and catching up with each other. So that was part of the contract. That's something that we all abide by adults too. Another mm-hmm. part of it was that the phone goes downstairs into the kitchen at a certain time each night. So I think when we uh, first wrote up the contract, that was 830 that she mm-hmm. would have to relinquish <laughs> the phone. <laughs> um, you know, we also set limits on the number of hours a day that she can be on it. Yeah. Limits around social media use when she go- first got the phone. And even now, no social media apps. Possibly by the time the podcast airs, uh, she will have Instagram as a teen. But, you know, she's proven that she can use her phone responsibly. It was sort of a trial and error (laughs) setting first. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk, if you're you're willing to, about some of that trial and some of that error, you know, to share with people any things that were hitches along the way, maybe, or things that you might have done differently or have had to change or adapt along the way in, in that contract. Yeah, well, I'll start by saying, you know, this is all new to us. You know, I feel like her generation is the first generation that was really born <laughs> with all of this technology mm-hmm. and with social media just being a part of life. So, you know, we're just feeling our way around and <laughs> kind of finding our way through it. <laughs> you know, she and she likes to remind us too, like, you don't know how this is going to turn out. This is all new, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is a fair point. Like, we can't be all doom and gloom about it. But We did say, I'm trying to think now, you know, in terms of error, we we did have to revisit the contract several times and just kind of go over the rules again, because especially when it comes to time limits, it's very easily for that to slip and slide Mm -hmm. and expand. And, you know, you don't want to police your child and be setting timers and say, (laughs) okay, get off. So, you know, you, you give them a little slack. And then maybe you tighten it up again when you see like, okay, this is going too far. We got to, we got to rein it back in again. That's, you know, the hours are creeping up on your phone. You know, sometimes it just means a little reminder to put the phone down, go outside, go for a walk, pick up a book, do something else. Like she, you know, it might, it might require a little bit of direction and a reminder because again, as adults, It's very easy for us to just go into that zombie-like mode (laughs) of scrolling on the phone, you know? uh, Kids are just as susceptible to that, maybe even more so. So, yeah, I don't know if there's anything in retrospect that we would change. (sighs) Knowing what we know now, you know, it's been a couple years Mm -hmm. that she's had the cell phone. She walks a mile each way to school, and it's been great in terms of just getting in touch with her after school, or she'll say, I'm going to town and meeting friends here or there. And that's why we allowed her to get it. We were, you know, we were threatening to get a flip phone (laughs) for her. (laughs) (laughs) But we did break down and get a smartphone for better or for worse. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, we're just kind of, you know, like I said, just sort of blindly feeling our way through this and, and figuring out what works for our family and, you know, where things, when it feels like it gets a little out of hand, where we can rein it back in again. We have to do that just as much for ourselves as we do for her. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've got a firm but flexible attitude. You know, it's not like when there's an infraction, you you necessarily call it out uh, for punishment or anything, but that you're attuned to what what's required. And you know, I heard you say that when you know, things expand too much, you kind of rein it back in. And I'm sure that that's helpful to have some some degree of flexibility without being so flexible that that the rules become meaningless. Yeah, and I, I think you have to, you know, you have to have some understanding too for how kids communicate with each other these days, right? It's not, they don't pick up the phone and sit there and talk like we used to <laughs> yeah. when we were kids, right? They're texting, they're texting and it, it's very quick and very easy and those texts will add up. So she would put her phone down in the kitchen at 8.30 at night. Sometimes she would get up in the morning and if she was on a group text, there'd be 150 or more new texts mm-hmm. sitting there waiting. And even she would be amazed, right? Because it's, wow, people people were busy like all night long. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so you have to just kind of take control and and shut it down. And I feel like she is a little bit relieved too when she's away from it because it can be hard mm-hmm. to just put it down yourself and walk away. But I think we all feel that sense of relief when we unplug for a little while. Just give ourselves that blank space. Yeah, yeah and it sounds like uh, uh, she's she's seeing you be able to do that. You know, you're you're walking the walk. Although you know, you admitted like all of us, you know, we don't always stick to our own rules or you know <laughs> accomplish our own goals with this all the time. We're all we're all just yeah. human. I, w- I wonder if you could, in parting, give people any final tips or encouragement either for themselves or for, you know, a step, a simple first step they could take with their kids to, you know, interact in a more, a more healthy, balanced way with technology? Yeah, I think, you know, just a very simple first step is to have everybody unplug at the same time for a few hours on, you know, on a Saturday or Mm -hmm. something when you're all together. It sounds simple. I know it can be hard. It can be very hard, especially if, you know, you're (laughs) used to communicating with people all day long. But I feel like our brains really need it, right? So as a brand strategist, there's a big part of my work that is creative. And I need to unplug and give myself that blank space that I mentioned to let creativity come in. We're consuming all the time. And it's amazing (laughs) if you just unplug for a little while have all these great thoughts, right? You have so many more <laughs> ideas. Um, and I think it's, a, it's just as important for kids, if not more so, to allow themselves to be, maybe be a little bit bored, right? And see what happens and see mm. what comes up. So that's my biggest piece of advice. Just let yourself get bored. You know, don't automatically reach for the phone, get outside, go out in nature and just kind of observe the world around you. Don't stare down mm. at your hand like <laughs> we're doing all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Just so people can know how to reach you and find out more about you, uh, where can they go to uh, to learn about you and your work and uh, get in touch with you? Sure, sure. Uh, my website is the best place, and it's just my name, RebeccaHaran.com. Great. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Rebecca, for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. I really, really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks so much, Robert. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us for this 50th episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin. 
And today's guest, Rebecca Haran, a brand strategist who helps business owners, educators, and entrepreneurs communicate their brands in a way that really makes people care. You can find out more about Rebecca at RebeccaHaran.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. You can also find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take back control of your smartphone at tapintomindfulness.com. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with coach and host of the Optimal Performance podcast, Sean McCormick. (laughs) 